Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Okay, so you didn't hear it from me, but you can find some amazing deals on activewear at Kohl's right now. I'm talking major brands. Like, it almost seems too good to be true, but it's not. I got some super cute sneakers from Adidas, and the Nike tee I got for my daughter was 25% off. And not to brag, but I also earned triple rewards with my Kohl's card. So you know I'm going back for the Fitbit Versa 3. Or will I get the Under Armour leggings? Select styles Kohl's Rewards members earn double or triple rewards February 24th through 28th. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708-478-6090. Marishka's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. Chuck's Southern Coverage Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com and by seatgiant.com. Use promo code MADHOUSE to check out to save on your tickets. Let's drop the long-awaited puck. Welcome to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast with NBCChicago.com's James Navo and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Here I is Chicago! Welcome into a long overdue edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I am James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago. And with me, this time, post-game, he's here, everybody. The one and only Jay Zawoski. And Jay, this season we've had a lot of kind of negative stuff to talk about. Hasn't been a whole lot of fun. But I'll be darned if there isn't anything quite as fun as dealing a huge blow to the playoff chances of the St. Louis Blues. Boy, am I happy right now. Please, talk me off of this ledge of schadenfreude. Come no, on, do it. That Man, that, tonight was probably the most fun I've had watching the Hawks in a long time. It's I t- turned to full meatball mode when Duncan Keith scored. I tweeted at the Blues the picture of Cartman licking the tears off the face of the kid. Uh, I'm fully <laughs> invested in going back to my meatball hockey roots because before the Hawks were good, that's all we really had was being playoff spoiler and, uh, you know, oh, a random win over the Red Wings every now and again. That's what kept you going as a Hawks fan. 
games like tonight where your rival is bested in a game they needed to win, not absolutely must win, but it really would have helped their cause to win tonight and to beat them in St. Louis and a last second goal from a guy who scored only a second goal of the year. It's just delicious. <laughs> it's delicious in every way. Oh man. And I think that was my favorite part is like you, you just, you can pick any one of those things. 12 seconds left. Duncan Keith scoring his second goal of the season on what? Like 680 shots. Like how many yeah. pucks has he put on net this season? And it's only scored twice now. And the fact, the delicious fact that the blues were up three to one and they blew it. Yeah. How about that? Ah! <laughs> Man, what are they? The Cleveland Indians? Hey, it was three one. <laughs> anyway. Oh, and by the way, in case anybody forgot, the Cubs eliminated the Cardinals from the playoffs last year. Just thought I'd throw that out there too. It's funny. I was out the other night and the Cubs Cardinals game was on from last year, and I, I almost forgot because the not to spend too much time on the Cubs, but like last year's playoff run was torturous. The series against the Nationals was just torture. It was nail biting from start to finish. Then the Dodgers kick your ass. It was kind of a miserable thing. So you sort of blocked out what happened. I'm like, why is this random Cubs Cardinals game on? Then I remembered, oh yeah, the Cubs won the division in St. Louis. In front and of then the fans. next night knocked the Cardinals out of the playoffs on. A beautiful catch by Leonis Martin. So, yeah, Chicago teams are just going into St. Louis and basically ruining things right now. And, frankly, that's a trend I can get behind. Well, the other thing that I wanted to mention today, too, was tonight's game, uh, aside from the Duncan Keith goal, the other three goals scored by young potential future pieces of this team. And that, to me, has been sort of the encouraging thing down the stretch is all these young guys, that's sort of the benefit of being eliminated early, is you can get all these young players in and give them a look and see who's got what. And so far, so good on these young players. I'm not ready to say any of them are going to be superstar players, but I don't think any of them really looked horribly outmatched or out of place so far. Um, I'd like to see Edsel add some speed. You know, I'd like to see Sakura be more of a factor offensively. But all these things will come, right? You think they're going to come with these young players, uh, but I, I like what I've seen from the young guys, you know, following the lead of Nick Schmaltz and Alex DeBrinkett, who have been two of the better Hawks all year. I think if there's anything you want to take away from the season that is just a complete suck fest, uh, those are the sort of things you can feel good about is the growth, the uh, sudden youth infusion. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of options, a lot of young options for the Blackhawks that they didn't have uh, just a year ago at this time. So. If there's a positive, that's it. There's still a lot of negative about the season. I know we're going to get into that tonight, too. Uh, but if we're staying on the positive note for beating the Blues and uh, hurting their playoff shots and uh, feeling good about things, that I think you can continue feeling good, sort of big picture, about those young players contributing. Yeah, it's kind of staggering how many guys have had their first NHL goal this season with the Blackhawks. Had another one tonight. Defenseman Blake Hillman, by the way, I did not know he had that shot. I'm just going to be 100% honest with our listeners. I had no earthly idea that that guy could hit the puck like that. That was insane, man. Great shot by him to score that goal. Really uh, liked his game, obviously, tonight. Alex DeBrincat taking the team scoring lead How about that? from Patrick Kane tonight. Like that, 
I know we talked before the season that we thought that he had the potential to be a really solid scorer. Scoring 28 goals for this team this season, that's something else, man. And especially the way he's bounced all over the lineup. I am so, so impressed with the fact that he just literally, any line that Joel Quenville stuck him on, it seemed like it ended up working out. Even if at the time we were like yanking our hair out, like, why is Joel doing it to this guy? Apparently... He can just do it like he can just be on any line. And I think that versatility is going to serve him really well in the future. And then, of course, you have your other guys, your David Camps, your uh, Carl Dahlstrom's, your Dylan Sakura's. You have all these guys who are making impacts for the Blackhawks and they're young. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this roster kind of shakes out going into next season, because I feel like for a team that has a lot of issues, at least they've got some competition, especially for forward spots. I think next year is going to be really interesting when they head into training camp. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And um, again, I I don't want to turn it negative just yet. We have the rest of the show to sort of get that way. Um, But it, it is, it is encouraging. And I think even if you had the highest of expectations for Alex to bring it, I don't know, you know, Alex DeBrinkett's mother or father would not have predicted close to 30 goals as a rookie for Alex DeBrinkett. We thought 20, 25 if he really maxed out. He's a 28 with two games to go. He really absolutely could reach 30, could reach the team lead. He already has it, could sustain the team lead, I guess is a better thing to say. He's been incredibly impressive. And think about this, too. He's gone several, he's had several, you know, long droughts without goals this year. And if you close those gaps next season, you're talking about a potential 40-goal scorer. And you add that into the mix of what's already here with Patrick Kane, who, when the season matters, I think becomes a more impactful player. I think we've seen him, I don't want to say completely check out, but I think we all know there's a level of compete in Patrick Kane that he's not shown over the last month or so. Sort of understandably so, considering the huge games he's played in. Um, So there's another level there with him. Taves, before the injury, was turning things around a little bit. Brandon Saad, the underlying numbers have been good. The puck just hasn't gone in. I think uh, Sam Fells uh, uh, from Faxes uh, from Uncle Dale did a really good job uh, about a week ago sort of detailing that Saad's season is not as bad as it looks. It's not as bad as it seemed, and the metrics were there, and he's up there with some of the better players in the league. The puck just wasn't going in. So – there are some reasons for optimism, but I still think, you know, we're going to get into this in a little bit. I still think that uh, this team next year, if everything goes right, is still maybe a borderline playoff team. I would agree with that. And by the way, uh, before we go too much further, I know you had mentioned earlier that this game uh, didn't necessarily eliminate the Blues, but it did take the uh, it did take their destiny out of their own hands because now. They have to win their final two games in order to get in like that's and that's one of the games is against Colorado, whom they're chasing in the standings. So that's always kind of a negative thing when you no longer control your own destiny and you have to like almost hope for help from other teams. And then also, apparently, this clinched a playoff spot for the L.A. Kings. So you're welcome, guys. We're still (laughs) bitter about 2014, but you're welcome. Yeah, and the the other great thing is Friday the Hawks get to play the Blues again. So the Hawks could absolutely eliminate them on Friday night, which would be 
extra tasty. Well, and th- and that's assuming if Colorado wins tomorrow night, the Blackhawks will have an opportunity to knock the St. Louis Blues out of the postseason, and that would be um, something I'd be definitely in favor of, considering it's the last home game of the season for Chicago. Yeah, I'm excited. See, it's funny as the season was sort of sucking along. Uh, the things we could look forward to were these young guys getting a look. Now all these guys are playing. The last week or so, last two weeks, have probably been the most interested I've been in the Hawks, probably since that horrible stretch after the All-Star game where Patrick Kane said, well, they have to go 23-9 and nine or whatever it was. And, then they... and they're probably going to go the exact opposite of that. Yes. So that's about, at the end of that streak, is about where I lost interest, and I think I'm not alone in that. I think a lot of people actually probably tuned out before that even. Uh, right. but these last couple of weeks have actually been compelling to watch. And while the results haven't always been there, I think the hope uh, and the vision into the future has been a little brighter than maybe we suspected. I would definitely agree with that. And I think that I know we're going to get into probably some of the negative stuff as we come out of our first break. But there is one thing I did want to mention, Jay, and that is we do have another bit of uh, kind of comedy I guess you can call it for the Anaheim Ducks. And that's what I'm going to tease going into the break because I want, you know, people to laugh along with us on this excellent night of uh, Blackhawks hockey and St. Louis Blues sadness. All right. I'm glad you brought that up. I also want to get into um, the Blackhawks honoring Stan Makita with one more shift. Um, this one feels a little different to me, and I want to talk to you about it. I sort of want to talk it out on the podcast. Because, frankly, it's hard to find anyone to talk about this stuff with these days. So I'm going to talk it out with you and the listeners, and uh, we'll get into your Mighty Ducks comedy bits. But before we do that, we have to tell you about our friends at Triple Threat Sports. You know that they're the best place to go in town if you want your NHL jerseys lettered. But softball season is upon us. 16-inch, 12-inch, Little League, Bantam B, which is what my daughter plays. All these teams need jerseys. All these teams need hats all these teams need bags and outfitting and logo design and all that stuff triple threat sports is your one-stop shop for all that stuff if you're managing a team playing on a team whatever and you need to outfit that team head to triple threat sports they will hook you up you will look outstanding i've seen some of the work triple threat sports has done with local teams and the different shows there's those softball teams that show up with a t-shirt with a number on the back the teams that Triple Threat makes things for, they look like major league teams. They got the embroidered numbers, the embroidered letters, the sweet-looking logo. Triple Threat takes it to a different level. So give them a call, 708-478-6090, or email Chris at chris at triplethreatsports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. We'll be right back with more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into a, uh, an understandably jovial edition of the Mad Out Chicago Hockey Podcast. We've been having some fun at the expense of the St. Louis Blues. And now, Jay, I would like to have fun at the expense of another one of our favorite punching bags. And that is, they can't possibly withstand our physicality, <laughs> Ryan Kessler. Now, as I'm sure everybody's, everyone's aware, Ryan Kessler's whole career in the NHL has basically been... One long-running joke about what a bag he is. So what he ended up doing the other night for the Ducks is just, it's so delicious. And I feel so bad for the unintended victim of his idiocy. 
I rail often against players shoving guys into their own freaking goalie. It is literally the stupidest thing that you can do on the ice. It's like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and risk injury. I'm going to go throw this guy onto the net. Well, guess what? Ryan Kessler threw Gabriel Landeskog into John Gibson and injured him. Knocked him out, they think, maybe for the season. Thanks a lot, Ryan Kessler. You get a great A for being a douchebag. Well, it's funny. A guy with top-end skill who should be a guy that any playoff team wants on their team. You know, they the sort of guy you add him in and he's going to be the final piece of the puzzle. Ryan Kessler's career will be defined by playoff failures and on-ice stupidity. And that's really sad because he's a better player than that. But he's just an idiot. And he can't get out of his own way. And you can go on and, and, you know, say, oh, you know, we ran into a buzzsaw and the Blackhawks and the Kings. Fine. That's all well and good. Great. However, half the stuff he's known for, you're right. You ask a hockey fan that's not a Ryan Kessler apologist, like, what do you think when you think Ryan Kessler? You use the word douchebag. That's probably going to come out of the the mouths of 70% of the people you talk to about Ryan Kessler. That is his career in a nutshell. And for a guy with the ability he has, like I said, that's brutal. That's a guy who, when he came into the league, had very high expectations. People thought that he was going to be a, per- a perennial all-star, a multi-time champion, a potential Hall of Famer, and all he's got to show for it is nothing. <laughs> I mean, really, he's accomplished nothing in his career. Yeah. Well, speaking of douchebags and guys who just absolutely <clears throat> excuse me, do not have to play a dirty style of play, you see what Brad Marchand did over the weekend? Yes. Did, how on earth did he only get a fine for what for what he did? For that stinking cross check, that gutless puke cross check to the face of Andrew McDonald. I am so sick of no oh, wrong place, wrong time. Brad Marchand is an ass. And he deserves to have the book thrown at him anytime he breathes incorrectly towards another player. I am so sick of all the people who constantly apologize for him and have his back for no reason, that dude is scum. And I honestly am so sick and tired of people acting like he's just this like victim who's always wrong place, wrong time. He is a dirty, dirty player. And I am sick and tired of seeing him get away with this crap over and over again. Well, there's no doubt he's a dirty player. And look, you can say that about... Uh, other players like, oh, you know, bad timing, whatever. No, with him, it's a trend. It's constant with Brad Marchand. Every year, you can sort of count on him being suspended at least once. And you could probably count on two hands the number of dirty hits, potential suspendable hits he puts together three. And the shame of it is, now in his career, he's playing like MVP-level hockey. He's yep. finally like taking a step to elite offensive player. But again, we talk about guys that can't stay out of their own way. Brad Marchand's another one. Stopping an ass, dude. Like, you don't need to be that anymore. If Andrew Shaw became a point-per-game player, don't you think he would stop the antics? Maybe not. But you'd like, to think, <laughs> you'd like to think that maybe he would, right? Brad yeah. Marchand is too valuable to the Bruins, who could win the Stanley Cup this year. He's too valuable to them to be continuing to act that way. And at some point, it's no longer like cute or funny or you're not just like an air quotes agitator at some point you're a danger to the game you're a danger to the sport you're a danger to other players in the league and he has surpassed that point in my mind totally yeah 
and, and you said it best, man. The Bruins legit have a shot to win the Stanley Cup this year. They're one of probably five or six teams that I think are bona fide Stanley Cup contenders. And you've got that guy constantly just doing dumb crap and putting his status as a player in the league on the line. And I saw so many, so many Bruins fans on Twitter. Oh, it's just a love tap. Oh, you know, he's just getting up. Blah, blah, blah. No, it was a cross check to a dude's face. A dude who was laying on the ground. There's nothing accidental or incidental about that. He should have been suspended. Instead, he got his little slap on the wrist, $5,000 fine, because the NHL doesn't want to take the drama out of the Boston-Tampa Bay playoff chase. It was a ridiculous decision and one that I completely disagree with. Yep, I'm with you. All right, let's get to the Sam Makita thing real quick. Uh, maybe a little bit under the radar, but on Friday, the final uh, Hawks home game, they take on the Blues, 7.30 at the United Center, April 6th. Uh, they're going to do the one more shift. We've seen that done with Steve Larmer, Eddie Belfour, uh, Troy Murray this year. A lot of former Hawks have the opportunity to suit up and skate on the ice for the anthem and do the air quotes one more shift. Very cool promotion. It's when is Tomo Rutu going to get his, man? It's coming. Don't worry. It's coming for sure. But So the Sam Akita one is April 6th, and obviously – if you've been following along with things going on with Stan, Stan is suffering from dementia, obviously in bad shape, won't be able to be there. And they're going to have his grandsons, Charlie, Billy, and Tommy, uh, take his place. And they'll be on the ice uh, for that ceremony. Now, the reason I'm feeling weird about this is when something like this happens, sort of out of the blue, I'm getting, I'm just really scared that this, that, that Stan is close to the end. And, yeah. uh, it's a bad feeling and it's the last home game and maybe the Hawks feel like he's not going to make it to next season where they could do this again uh, before he passes. And look, I never got a chance to see Stan Makita play, but I've had the chance to meet him uh, when he was fully lucid, when he was fully healthy and a genuine class act uh, people around the game, people that played the game in his era talk about him with such reverence and respect Um and the whole thing is sad, and you feel for his family uh, having to see him go from, you know, Hall of Fame, legendary hockey player to Blackhawks icon to a man that can barely care for himself anymore and doesn't remember his loved ones and all the horrible things that happen when you suffer from that disease. And um, I don't know, I can't help but sort of feel like, you know, by the by the time the season rolls around next year, uh, you know, Stan Makita won't be with us anymore and that's tremendously sad and you know realistically he's kind of been gone for a long time he's not himself anymore he doesn't know you know the reality of of life anymore and you know it just doesn't make it any easier as a Hawks fan to know that the guy you want to hold up you know the guy you want to be the career face of your franchise not like Bobby Hull who has made you know uh sympathetic comments towards Nazis has had a, a long history of uh, spousal abuse and, and, and drinking problems and all the sort of things that we all know about Bobby Hull. And look, no one's perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect either, but uh, Stan Makita is a guy you want to hold up as the face of a franchise. And uh, to think about, you know, the Blackhawks organization without him in it, or, uh, you know, even if it's not in his right mind uh, alive, it's just a bad feeling, and I hope 
that this is just not a, you know, let's do one last thing before uh, we say goodbye to Stan. It's just, it's kind of heartbreaking to me. Yeah, I mean, it's been a uh, very sad season for Blackhawks fans with the uh, passing of Pierre Pilat and obviously the emotions of Brian Bickle's one more shift. And this is just going to be another just like kind of bittersweet moment to celebrate again the life and career of somebody who is so damn important to the Blackhawks and to the sport of hockey in general. And anybody you talk to about Stan just glows when they talk about him. He's one of those guys that, you know, not an unkind word has been uttered about him. And he's just one of those guys you kind of look up to. And I had the same thought that you did when they announced the one more shift. I kind of felt like this was the, opportunity for fans to say goodbye in case Stan doesn't make it to the next hockey season. And it's going to be a great memory for his grandkids. It's going to be a really cool thing for them to do to kind of get to experience again, like what their granddad got to experience in the NHL. And it, it is just continuously a sad thing, like with the loss of Pierre and with Stan's health deteriorating, it's just like, an era of Blackhawks hockey, like the last like great era before the current one that we're in, you know, it, it's sad to see that kind of like going by the wayside and kind of, you know, fading from the scene. And I think that in a way, in a way, like maybe we can like turn it into something at least somewhat positive. And that's just to kind of treasure what we've got while we've got it. Like this team that won three Stanley cups and is generally such a good team in terms of perennially contending for cups like maybe this is just another good reminder kind of like brent seabrook's 1000th game to just kind of savor these moments and hell you do that like in hockey you can do that in life too like savor the good times while you've got them savor the times with family while you have them because you never know when your mental faculties are going to start to go away you never know if something bad's going to happen tomorrow it's just it, it, it's another good reason to kind of be mindful of the present moment and to kind of treasure what we have while we have it. And I think that that ultimately in a time that's going to be filled with, I think a lot of like kind of sadness. And like I said, bittersweet feelings, maybe just to take away that one positive, maybe that'll help kind of ease it just a little bit. Yeah, you're right about that. And I think another part of it too is, you know, for, for me, I look at Stan Makita as, you know, when my dad and my uncles were my age, that he was like their peer, right? They're the same age. They would watch him play, and they talked about him so glowingly. And I think a lot of Hawks fans my age and younger look at Stan as like kind of a grandfatherly figure, right? This sort of mythical guy who we've only seen, you know, highlight films of and, and archival footage of him playing. And you could see how great he was even in those little snapshots but he had that sort of grandfatherly feeling about him, this like quiet strength and this, uh, I think the word respect we both use. And I think that everyone uses it about Stan. He's a, a, a guy who just sort of commands respect with his presence. He's very serious. He's very smart. And I think part of us see that is, you know, and I know longtime Hawk fans especially have that feeling of almost like a member of the family is, is gone or going. And, uh, you know, I think sports fans and, and uh, especially sports fans that suffered with the team for a long time, they get these connections to these players that 
sometimes you know your most your more ordinary franchises don't get and the Hawks are one of those teams and Sam Makita I think to me personifies that more than anybody so it's not just losing a great player it's not just losing an icon it's losing a guy who a lot of Hawks fans have very fond personal feelings for even if they didn't know him personally and yeah that sort of leads me into and I I don't want to do a ton of this because we've done it a lot this year but you mentioned Brent Seabrook's 1000th game and we live in this era now of what have you done for me lately and instant reaction on Twitter and the hot take universe and everything I I just want Hawks fans and I've said this before I just want Hawks fans to realize that despite the bad contract and despite the too much money and despite the no movement clause and despite the natural decline of Brent Seabrook he is without a doubt one of the best Blackhawks of all time and I think it's fair to be critical of him when he fails and it's fair to be critical of the contract and all those things but I don't want the tar- the legacy tarnished because he gave everything he has to this organization. He gave literally like his health, his body. Brendan Seabrook's the kind of guy that when you see him 10 years after he retires, he'll be walking with a limp. And he'll be walking with a limp for the rest of his life. And when it's all said and done, if the Hawks win another cup or not between now and the time he retires in 27 years when his contract expires... Um, you know, Brent Seabrook will go down as a legendary Blackhawk. That number seven will and should hang above the United Center for the rest of the time the building is standing and the rest of the time the franchise is alive. So just sort of keep that in the back of your mind about Brent Seabrook and about Duncan Keith as the decline starts for him and about Jonathan Taves and about Patrick Kane and all these guys who have given so much to this organization on the ice um, and Brent Seabrook especially off of it. Uh, the dude deserves your respect, even if you're unsatisfied with how things have gone lately or his deal. Don't lose sight of that. I, that's one thing that I sort of don't like about this era is people just, you're, people are so quick to turn on players. And uh, it was never like that when my when our dads and uncles and grandfathers were growing up. Guys were, it's not about loyalty, it's just sort of about acceptance and not wanting to be the hot take guy. I think just take a step back. Look at and remember the huge moments Brent Seabrook has had in his Blackhawks career. Hell, go to the Blackhawks website and watch the dozen or so videos they put out from his teammates talking about him and his importance to them and his importance to the team. Uh, Don't lose sight of how great and how important a part of this franchise Brent Seabrook was. And still is. Yeah, he still is. Uh, I did mention on the last podcast obviously i had a lot of uh scott foster thoughts and i had to kind of get to all that in the aftermath of that game but i did kind of briefly hit on brent and how that really kind of showed the whole the video the tributes and everything showed just kind of the monumental impact that he had on the team as they you know romped through and won three stanley cups and i i still think that Marion Hosa's goal against Nashville in game five in 2010 was probably my favorite moment outside of obviously like cup winners, et cetera. But that was just such a pivotal moment when all seemed lost and all of a sudden the Blackhawks storm back and win that game. Close second has to be Brent Seabrook scoring that game seven goal to finish off the comeback against Detroit in 2013. Like that was that entire series was his shining moment because he had that goal. 
He had the whole comforting Jonathan Taves in the penalty box thing. Like that entire series was just such a microcosm and such a good reminder of what Brett Seabrook means to this team. And it was really cool to be able to kind of go through after that thousandth game and to kind of remember all that. That stroll down memory lane, I think, really kind of revitalized my interest in this uh, Blackhawks season as it wraps up and definitely kind of led me to, you know, kind of stop and smell the roses a little bit. Yeah. For sure, and you're right. That was, I think, was it uh, Patrick Sharp said it, that it was such a Brent Seabrook sort of thing to have uh, Foster steal his spotlight? Like, it was just sort of perfect that Brent Seabrook on his night would not get the attention he deserves because that's sort of been, um, it was sort of a microcosm of his whole career of, like, yeah. never getting the credit despite probably deserving it. Um, yeah, very just a really cool night. And, and part of me, you know, uh, not to play conspiracy theory or anything, but... The fact that they had such a special event for him, I don't know if that signals anything or if they're preparing people for anything, but it had like a goodbye feel to it. I don't know if I'm just sort of projecting that. Um, I don't know if you got the same feel or not, but um, I sort of had that like, I don't know, but I guess he's the first guy in this core that was drafted by the Hawks to reach this milestone. So that can be to play all the games with the Blackhawks was pretty remarkable. Yeah. That's probably more of what it is than anything as I'm talking through it here. But I don't know. You know me. I, I like on. I love Brent Seabrook more than I should. Maybe but. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is just kind of a I don't know, man. It's kind of a surreal time to be a Hawks fan because you have Brent Seabrook hitting the thousand game plateau, which is a remarkable milestone. You got Patrick Sharp, who could be playing his last couple of games as an NHL player. I mean, there's a lot going on. You mentioned the young guys earlier, and obviously there's a lot to pay attention to with them. But seeing some of these veterans kind of hitting these milestones and potentially hitting the end of the line with the team, there's just there's a lot of feelings going on right now, man. No doubt. All right, let's take another break, and then we come back. We'll uh, I, I think probably today is not the day to get into the future of uh, Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman. We've got all next week to do that. Maybe yep. this weekend we'll do another long podcast sort of looking forward to the offseason because I think on Monday we're going to get a lot of answers. I think that's going to be the day where we these questions we've been asking all offseason are going to be answered about is Joel Quenville going to be fired? Is Stan Bowman going to be fired? Should they be fired? I'm going to write about Joel Quenville for the SCORE website. Over the next couple of days I'm going to do a case for and a case against firing Joel Quenville, and I'll probably do the same with Stan Bowman. So keep an eye on 670thescore.com for that um and we will discuss that uh, again probably this weekend we'll knock out one last podcast uh before the season wraps up because there are some huge questions being asked but tonight i think we should answer some emails to wrap things up let's keep this one a little bit shorter than usual but before the break gotta tell you about our friends at marishka's by the way james marishka's deposit into your account today check it out Woo, money yeah baby you got paid today congratulations to you Go spend that money somewhere. Go buy a Rolls Royce or whatever it is you're, you've been saving up for. Uh, but Marishka's, 604 Theodore Street in Crest Hill. Um, as the season comes to an end, uh, I'm a sentimental guy. I get, like, emotional about every stupid thing, so deal with it. Uh, Marishka's is our longest and our, you know, right there with Triple Threat Sports. Um, they have been there for us from the beginning, and it means the world to me and to James that they have decided to stick with us for another year. 
and uh, they're just an awesome sponsor. And we are working on that end of the year uh, broadcast. We're working on finalizing that date. We'll get there. We'll have it. Uh, I would imagine it will happen before May. We'll get there. Um, but Mariska's, anyway, best food. Uh, family owned and operated since 1933. Like I said, they are known for their poor boy sandwich. If it's your first time at Mariska's, that's what you're going to want to order. But then the second, third, fourth, fifth time, eh, you'll probably get the poor boy then too. But eventually, you'll want to try some of the other stuff on the menu. The chops, the seafood, the onion rings, the twice-baked potatoes. Everything there is phenomenal. Everything there is made with love and care and attention. So go to Mariska's. It's a place you'd be proud to take your family and your friends out for a great night. They've got a full craft beer menu. They've got banquet facilities for up to 110 people. So go check them out. Mariska, 604 Theodore Street in Crest Hill. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. Check them out at marishkas.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash marishkas. That's M-E-R-I-C-H. K-A-S. We'll be right back with more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We've hit the highs of this evening, bragging about the St. Louis Blues kind of stinking up the joint. We've hit some kind of emotional moments, talking about Stan Bakita and Brent Seabrook and you know what it means to really treasure moments as a fan. But now we just wanted to do a couple of quick things before we get to the emails. The first thing we have to get to is Mike Yo's comments after the Blackhawks beat the Blues tonight. Not only beat them, but came back from 3-1 down in the game to beat St. Louis. After the game, Yo blamed nerves and bad decisions in the third period of the game, echoing what a few other players had said. You know what, St. Louis? I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> but if you have nerves against Jean-Francois Berube and Matthew Edsel and all those guys, the Blackhawks trotted out there tonight. Frankly, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Like, come on, get over yourselves. Yeah, thank you. You're right about that. A veteran-laden team who is supposedly trying to compete for a cup. Yeah, you don't get scared of the Blackhawks. I'm sorry. Taves isn't even out there, so it's not like the ghost of Blackhawks pass is going to be there like, ooh, intimidating you. No. This team blows. Uh, you should have beaten them handily. I actually walked out. The game was starting. And I had a buddy over. I walked out to my car and I go, when I get back, it'll probably be three nothing blues. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's a, a terrible excuse. Uh, yeah. Man, we were scared. Well, man. You know what? Maybe it's not an excuse. Maybe it's true. And you're right. If that is true and that's the case, then you're right. They don't deserve to be a playoff team. Mental midgets, my friend. Uh, it's mental small people. Please be politically correct on this. Sorry. Podcast. Sorry. We I forgot we are SJWs on this podcast. What's I also your... wanted to bring up, I mean, I cannot believe we didn't bring him up once during this podcast. Andreas Martinson had a game tonight, my friend. He was absolutely fantastic. Throwing his weight around. I know I don't, I hate hits as a statistic. He should have had at least five or six of them tonight. Like he was waylaying people on the ice. Oh, yeah. And also had an awesome little goal there, too. So great game from him. I've liked what I've seen from him the last few times. I've like really kind of zeroed in on him and watched him play. I agree. And he's very tan, which is yeah, kind of distracting. That sucks, man. He's a handsome man. Well, is there anything worse than like going to work and like a, a co-worker comes back from vacation and they've got a tan? Like I, I came in today and my co-worker, <laughs> Michelle, just got back from 
Puerto Rico and she's like perfectly tan and like it was 80 there the entire time. And you're just like, shut up. <laughs> like, especially at this time of year, it's just it seems rude. Like, come back pale like the rest of us, man. Dude, today on the train platform, I was cursing the weather like a crazy person. I was like, and people are looking at me like, what's wrong with this guy? I was I was literally cursing out loud. I was so angry at the weather. So the train platform I get on is probably like two, three stories in the air, just sort of like taking on all the wind in the south suburbs at, like at once. And I was just, this is ridiculous. It's April 4th. Baseball Wait, do you get started. on at the Flossmore stop? No, I get on at Calumet. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Calumet is like elevated. Just like the Flossmore stop is the same way. It's elevated like that. And I was just, all the wind was blowing directly in my face, and I just wanted to be anywhere but there. Anyway, so yeah, I was. Well, the, home, the Homewood Station has a nice heated area. You should just get on there. Well, I would do that, but they don't allow for monthly parking. They also don't offer the credit card uh, like app payment, so I had to literally go find two singles and a quarter every day and jam them into that little slot. I'm not into that. I'm done. Cali Met's twenty three bucks a month, so it's about half the price. And I can, uh, you know, I can either use the app or just park there because I pay monthly. It's beautiful. Hmm. I'm gonna have to keep that in mind. That's a good idea. How about that? And you're home sooner. Technically. Yeah. Well, okay. So now, now that we've gone consumer <laughs> advice here and everyone's <laughs> tuned out of the podcast. Do you think it's time to uh, get to emails? I think we're long overdue for emails, actually. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. All right. Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod. The email segment, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. With locations in Burbank and Darien, visit chuckscafe.com for menu items and all that good stuff. Chuck's is amazing. Everything there is good. Everything there is tremendous. Uh, Chuck Pine studied under the great Chicago chef Rick Bayless from Frontera and Shoko and all those great uh, cookbooks that are out there. Mexico and played at a time you may have watched the TV show. Yeah, Chuck trained under him. So you know he's got Mexican food down to a science. He's also a barbecue master. Makes some of the best barbecue food you'll ever have. And if you're not in the mood for Mexican or barbecue, how about some Cajun? You want some jambalaya? You want some crawfish? You want all those things? Chuck's got that for you, too. Not feeling fancy? Feeling kind of basic? Like a basic B? Is that how you're feeling today? Cool. Go get a As burger. As the kids would say. Yeah. Go get a burger. Go get some fries. Go get, uh, you know, some chicken tenders. Everything is there for you at Chuck's. They've got outstanding mac and cheese. All of their soups are amazing. The cobblers are amazing. Basically, what I'm telling you is Chuck's is amazing. You should check them out. Go to chuckscafe.com. Again, locations in Burbank and Darien, uh, right off I-55 and Cass there in Darien, and right on 76th Street in Natchez in Burbank. Love Chuck's Cafe. Go visit them, chuckscafe.com. Okay, now to the emails, my friend. How the heck did I not know he served under Rick Bayless, dude? Because you don't like, listen I to feel, my reads. I feel like that knowledge should have like been made clear to me at some point. Well, it's definitely been said on a podcast before. Now, generally when you uh, start talking about ads, I can only half listen because then I get hungry. Yeah, no, I understand. All right, first email here from Bob. Hey, Bob. He says, can an NHL team trade their coach? Q is obviously a great coach, but may be a better fit with another team after 10 years here. If they have decided to part ways with him, can they trade him 
to Edmonton maybe for some defensive help. If he is tradable, he may be a great asset. He effectively would have a no-movement clause because he would have to approve of his new role, but if it could be worked out to the satisfaction of all parties, this may be a hidden asset the team has. Just a thought. Very interesting. And yes, NHL coaches have been traded before. As far as I have been able to uh, find out, that is still an option. It It doesn't happen very often, obviously, but... It has been done in the past, and again, from all I can find, it is still perfectly legal to do. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can't recall a specific instance, but yeah, as far as I know, you can trade a coach. I don't see why not. Yeah, um, that's an interesting thought, and if they do want to move on from him, uh, maybe that is something they consider. It doesn't seem like a very likely thing, just because it happens so rarely, um, but... I don't know. It's something to consider. If you're going to fire him, you might as well get something for him, right? Joel Quenville for Connor McDavid. Who says no? I'm going to think the Oilers. You know what? They traded Taylor <laughs> Hall for a bag of pucks. What do you expect? That's true. Good point. Good point. Okay. Maybe it can get done. Uh, next email. I like that one, though. That's a good thought. Good. I like where your head's at. Uh, this email from Marshall Lewis. He says, hey, Jay and James. First of all, thanks for hanging in there with us as the season ends and for doing cool activities like the Wolves game. I had a blast. I hope everyone else did too. Still an avid listener and enjoy looking forward to the podcast. Thank you. Two points to make slash suggest. Number one, offense. Everyone is looking at the forwards, but are the defensemen not also a huge part of generating the offense? Ding! In today's game, a stay-at-home defenseman is no more than a three or four unless they can pass the puck up. Yes. Thank you so much, Marshall. James and I have said this in the past, and uh, I think it bears repeating. The Blackhawks won Stanley Cups because they had an army of defensemen that can move the puck quickly and accurately up the ice. You had Duncan Keith in his prime, Brent Seabrook in his prime, Johnny Oduya at the end of his prime, but still close to his prime, Brian Campbell towards the end, but still a guy that can move the puck. Nicholas Jalmerson even was a good puck mover. Now you've got declining Keith, declining Seabrook, and that's really it. And you see the huge difference it makes in the Blackhawks offense. And that's, I think, where some of the frustration is coming in with Joel Quenville is, look, you don't have the personnel to play this game anymore. You need to adapt, and he hasn't done it. I get that. I can see the criticism there. Uh, again, we're gonna not going to spend this show breaking down Q and Bowman's future, but if you're looking for something to chalk up as a negative would be Quinville's lack of a lack of ability to adjust to a different kind of roster. He's made some adjustments this season, but you're right on that score. At least I think that he hasn't done enough to really move the team away from that puck possession, shot suppression, quick pass up the ice style of offense and defense with the personnel changes this season. And I definitely think that's, something that needs to be looked at long and hard by the front office. And you know what, if they keep him, it needs to be looked at by him too. It's something that he needs to be able to do moving forward with the team. All right. Email here from Jim Kane. He says, it's my understanding that Seabrook retiring would not punish the Hawks with the cap or capture penalties like hosts would because Seabrook's contract was signed after the lockout. This is true. While Accurate. Seabrook, yes. While Seabrook may want to play out his contract either way, could he theoretically retire before his contract is up and take a job as a Blackhawks team ambassador for an average salary of, I don't know, 
$6.875 million. I have to assume there's rules against this, but if there's some way the Hawks can incentivize his retirement and make sure he gets paid without that money counting against the cap in the last few years of his deal. Um, the- if you want the NHL to rain hell down upon you, offer a player a $7 million a year salary as an ambassador. That, wow, the NHL would be <laughs> up in arms about that. They would annihilate the Blackhawks with penalties for that. I think that kind of quid pro quo is something that probably shouldn't do. And I, I think it's possible at some point that Seabrook would retire, even with money left on the deal. But he'd be an absolute damn fool to walk away from it now when you've still got roughly about $40 million left to be paid out to you. Well, the only way that it makes sense um the deal itself i mean makes sense and we me you and i have talked about like what the hell was stan bowman thinking when he did this because it makes zero sense it's an idiotic signing i'll say that until the day i die as much as i love brent seabrook and i'm a brent seabrook apologist the deal sucks um the only way you can spin it to me is that if they have like a wink wink nod nudge whatever it is that after i don't know four years brent's gonna call it quits cool you know what i mean i i just think that I, the ambassador thing is he'll do that anyway. I think Brent Seabrook will be part of the Hawks organization for as long as he wants to be. But uh, as far as him walking away early, I could see that. And I think that maybe that's something the Hawks and Seabrook have planned for, although they would never admit it. No, uh, God. But- and they, if it had even been discussed and it came out, like I said, the NHL would absolutely rain hell on the Blackhawks. That would definitely be cap circumvention. That would be beyond anything the NHL did to the New Jersey Devils in the Ilya Kovalchuk situation. It would be real bad. All right, next one from our good friend Ken Bockelman. He said, hello to my favorite hockey podcasters. I assume that's us. He said, what would you do, if anything, to the current playoff format? I was all for it when they changed it a couple years ago. My opinion has changed, and I actually prefer the old way of one versus eight and so on. Uh, what say you, gents? Now, I th- we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And I like the idea of, like, just one big bracket of all 16 yep. playoff teams and one plays 16. It'll never happen because of travel. That's, like, the big thing. Because you could have, theoretically, the uh, Vancouver Canucks against the Florida Panthers in round one. And you're flying literally from the southeast corner of the United States to northeastern uh, America. I guess you'd call it southeastern Canada. It'd be just an insane trip back and forth if they wanted to they can make it work they could find a way to do like you know three three one or something like that two three two man two Two, three three, two two. instead of doing two two one 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 you minimize travel if you do two three two i feel like that you're because then you're making the trip twice and that's it like i feel like that's way better than back and forth, back and forth. back. If you're going to do the big bracket, which I'm in favor of, you absolutely would have to switch to a 2-3-2. Two, two. All right, well, let's say the only two options are the current way or the old way. Which would you opt for? As much of an apologist as I was for the new way, and I understood completely what the NHL was trying to do in terms of encouraging regional rivalry and all that, I would go back to the old way. I really would. Do you think that, that it's worked? Do you think that the regional rivalry thing is like, do you feel any stronger uh, hatred for the blues or predators 
than you did when it was the old way. I, I think that if there is that feeling, it's because the Predators got better. It's not because all of a sudden we play them more. Right? You know what I mean? It's not because the Hawks play them more. No team was more hated to the Blackhawks than the Canucks. It has nothing to do with region. It has to do with familiarity. And it has to do with playing for the biggest prize year after year after year. And I don't think that this format is... I don't mind this format, truthfully. I really don't. But I don't think it's worked in the way they saw it or they wanted it to work, if that makes sense. I feel like the the only team that I really felt any difference with, with when it came to that setup, I've always kind of had the, like, boo blues, like, hated them, obviously. Nashville, I don't feel particularly, like... I don't feel like a hatred of them. I can't speak to the way they feel about the Blackhawks. That obviously they could. I I think the only team that really it worked for was Minnesota, honestly. Like, I feel like that playoff format kind of lent itself to hating Minnesota a little bit more. Don't you agree? Maybe. I just just can't hate them. They're just, I don't know, they're just so cute. (laughs) Lions don't concern themselves with the opinions of man, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Uh, email here from Dan Horgan says, Hey guys, love the show. Do you guys think the Hawks could sign anti Ranta as a backup? He's a free agent after the season. I know he left and not the greatest of terms, but Arizona got Darcy from LA and he signed mm-hmm. longer term with the season. Both of them had Ranta seems like the odd man out. Let me know what you guys think. I love anti Ranta. I would like to have him back as a backup. And if Corey Crawford is not really ready to start the season, it's a guy that can hold down the fort for you for a little while. I like Antti Ranta. I would welcome him back with open arms. Do you think there's any chance he gets a uh, shot at competing for a starting job somewhere? I don't think so. I, I mean, I think he's a very good backup, like very much in the mold of Scott Darling. But we saw what happened this year when Scott Darling was given starter minutes. It just didn't work out. Like, it's just not... It's a, it takes a different animal to be a legitimate everyday NHL starter. And I don't know if Ronto or Darling have that to them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that would be about the only thing that could kind of prevent that from being an option. I definitely think the Blackhawks should go after it for sure. Yeah, and I think they might. All right, last email here comes from our friend. Uh, uh, well, it used to be Ponytail Dave. Now it's Adult Haircut Dave. Uh, he actually changed his Twitter name. You know that, right? He changed his Twitter name to Adult Haircut Dave. Yeah, he complimented me on my uh, Sports Sunday appearance the other day, and that's you can definitely tell that he changed his name to Adult Haircut Dave. He he, he has grown. And I saw he uh, was his daughter visiting colleges or coming home from college. Either way, Dave, good job, man. Proud of you. Adult Way to haircut be a good Dave. dad, man. Yeah, exactly. He says, if Quenville were fired, oh, my computer's dying. We better wrap this up. If Quenville were fired and you were put in his place with the roster that's in place now, what are your top four lines and top three D pairs? Dave, I have no idea. Quite Suicide. frankly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Uh, Taves is my first line center. How's that? Uh, Schmaltz is my second line center. Um, I I would probably have Debrinkit. I Honestly, give me Sod and Debrinkit on a line with Taves and let's roll. Let's see how that goes. I'm man. down. And then I'll have Schmaltz and Kane together on the second line. And you know what? Stick somebody like Dylan Sakura there on the second line. There. I gave you my top six. That's about all I'm going to get because I really think the bottom six next year is going to look significantly different. 
I agree with you, man. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for emails. That's going to do it for the podcast. Again, James and I will be back this weekend with a season in review, looking forward to uh, possible moves to be made. But until then, thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, which has been brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708-478-6090. Mariska's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. With locations in Burbank and Darien, visit chuckscafe.com and by seatgiant.com. Use promo code MADHOUSE to check out to save on your tickets. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you this weekend on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business every day are nothing short of heroic. And you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. Like the breaking ground on new construction things. The every box and barcode matters things. And the driving the family business forward things. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance. Wholeheartedly for you. News, laws, and regulations are changing by the day. We get it. And at ADP, we're here to help guide you with up-to-the-minute compliance expertise so you can pay your people accurately and on time, regardless of what each new day may bring. Learn more at ADP.com.